Employee experience is a priority because it drives retention, engagement, and ultimately business growth. Yet turnover keeps rising because traditional approaches to improving experience are too narrow. SAP Success Factors helps you expand your strategy and redefine employee experiences from every angle. You can capture in-the-moment insights from employees across multiple interactions, then link them with operational data to see what is happening in your workforce and understand why. You can break down system barriers using intelligent technology to integrate experiences within HR and across the business. And you can proactively tackle the toughest challenges like diversity, inclusion, well-being, and more. With SAP Success Factors, you can deliver comprehensive, unexpectedly exceptional experiences that keep employees engaged and keep your business growing. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwoman. Today, I am thrilled to bring to you Dee Poku. She is a founder of many things. One of the things she has founded is called A Dinner for Ladies, where she brings incredible women together in a room to have vulnerable, passionate, interesting conversations. She's also the founder of The Other Festival. And this was a great, honest episode. So take a listen. I am here with the incredibly inspirational and talented Deepoku. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for calling me that. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love for us to start with what is the WE Network and how did you come up with the idea? So WE is a community and it's designed to give women the network and the support systems they need to get ahead and to be successful. And it was inspired by my own experiences um, navigating the workplace. So I spent most of my career working for big corporations. And it's it's hard uh, as a woman and it's hard as a woman of color to overcome, you know, the various sort of obstacles. And I don't know, I feel like there are things, there are things in sort of in the business world that are really sort of designed to trip women up. And if you don't understand those invisible rules, it can be very difficult for you. And so whenever I came up against those roadblocks, I had to just figure them out for myself. And I would either fail and learn from it or, you know, somehow stumble upon the right answer. But I didn't have anyone to really turn to. I didn't have people that I felt comfortable sharing my weaknesses with or sharing my confusion with. So, and I didn't, I certainly didn't have mentors or nor did I even understand that concept or that that even could exist for me. And so, you know, I did well doing what I did in the, in the movie business, but there's so much more that I could have done. And we was created to sort of help women like me. So women who were in, in the, who are in the similar situation um, to figure things out and to learn from the experiences of others. And what does we stand for? We stands for Women, Inspiration and Enterprise, which is a very long, unwieldy name, <laughs> but it does have a purpose. And I, I do think that any organization or industry organization that's designed to sort of support um, women or just executives should have a dual function. So, you know, we have hard days, we have, you know, just sort of tough moments. And so we need that inspiration um, and motivation daily. And that can come through just knowing someone's overcome the same hurdles or just sort of being around or hearing from people um, who have been there. And so that's the inspiration portion is just sort of, what do you need to get you over the daily humps? And then the enterprise is really the toolkit. So we, we know we don't just want women to come to talks and just hear inspiring people and 
go home and have a five minute high. We want them to leave with a notebook filled with ideas and, you know, sort of specific, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts that they need. So we want them to understand how to negotiate. We want them to understand how to present themselves, what their personal story and narrative is. We want them to understand, you know, all facets of the business world from digital, you know, to marketing, to fundraising. So we just want want to sort of give them that full breadth of information. So you started that and then you also started something called the Other Festival. What is the Other Festival and how did you decide to launch not just one, but two companies? So it was, the Other Festival was inspired by the changing demographic of the women who started to come to the events. So we was created to support women who had my specific background and experience. So women who were sort of in that middle point, midpoint of their careers where you're just starting to come up against the glass ceiling or, you know, and, and so it was really about sort of female executives navigating corporate culture. That was me. And then what I noticed was that, was that the demo started skewing younger and younger and there were all these like badass young 20 year olds, um, you know, who wanted success yesterday and were filled with ideas who were also showing up and they were, um, very entrepreneurial, very ideas driven, very impatient, looking for experiences. And it just started to feel like what I was providing with, we wasn't really serving that specific audience particularly well. Um, and I also was just inspired by this sort of burgeoning entrepreneurial spirit that I was seeing in young women. So most of the entrepreneurs I knew were women who had had jobs and then transferred into entrepreneurship. Whereas these were women who were straight out of college were like, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to go raise money and like make it happen. And so the other festival was, was really for them. And, um, and so it encompasses more. So it has all of the, the great components of we, all this, the learning and the networking, but it's also very experiential. And so there's music and art and books, and, um, it's a way of sort of forming community around creativity and yeah. And just sort of creating that more sort of innovative space. And so I wanted to call it something else just to give it its own identity. And that was an impulse, but actually ended up feeling like the right decision though. And now I have to figure out how to really sort of merge the two entities, but that's for another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Being that there are lots of female conferences popping up and there's old ones, there's new ones all the time. How would you distinguish the other festival from the rest? Like what would make someone who's listening go, oh, this is for me? You know, I get asked this question a lot and there there is a lot out there. You know, one thing I would say was that um, I've been doing this a while. So before this was a thing, you know, I started this organization and saw this need. And so I think that I've just had a, a very long time to really learn and understand from women about what their needs are. Most people who come to our events describe the authenticity of it, um, that there's just this real sense of women pulling together in a, in a very sort of authentic way. And um, there's a certain kind of woman who's attracted to my events and she tends to be sort of a cosmopolitan city girl, 
who's, you know, ideas driven and whether she works for a company or whether she's starting her own thing, she still has that entrepreneurial spirit in her. So um, she works for a company. She's still sort of innovating and entrepreneurial within her company. And so I just think it's that sort of, you know, there's a certain type of woman and you meet a wee woman and you sort of know who she is. And so people form really deep connections when they come because they just find that there are like-minded people there for them. But, you know, and above that, I would just say that the content is always really, really practical. I don't want to waste anyone's time ever. And so I just, you know, I defy anyone to come and say that they came to an event of mine and left empty-handed. I like that challenge. (laughs) So one of the things, um, and I think for people who maybe aren't in this world, to be able to get people like Ariana Huffington or Christy Turlington or Donna Karen to speak at your festival, that's no small feat. What was a secret ingredient for gaining this type of support and involvement with women that are so high profile? I think it's really important to know why you're asking whoever you're asking, and to to have a bespoke approach to them. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'll never just send like standard letters to everybody. I just try and, and tailor it to the person. And, you know, I'm very specific about who I ask to speak. So it's never just sort of, these are the names I'm just going to ask. I, you know, I'm always scribbling notes because I'll read something or see something or hear something. And I think, you know, this woman, like I love what she has to say, or I love how she's approaching her work. And so I always have sort of copious notes in the in the back of my iPhone um, with just names of people. So many. So many. <laughs> so many. So that's, you know, that's important. So I always know exactly why I'm asking them. And I think that's important. But also, you know, I've built a network and I've built relationships. I started in the fashion business. I then moved into the movie industry and now I'm doing this. And and over the years, I've, you know, built some really sort of strong relationships with people who have connections. And so I generally always know someone who knows someone who knows that person. And so it's just always, so, you know, easier to go through a connection then, you know, to sort of fire off uh, standard letters through, you know, an info email. I always say the six degrees of separation is totally real. It's what got me to where I got to. I had six degrees of different women just helping me, helping passing the baton, right? right? Yep. Yeah. It's completely that. So I'm surrounded by women who have connections and women who want to help. And I like to say that the key to your success is through the power of your network. And I truly believe that, that everything I have, everything I've achieved has been through the incredible network of women who are around me. And so um, if you haven't cultivated those relationships, and I mean cultivate in the sort of most authentic, loving sense of that word, if you don't have that around you, then I think it's just very hard to succeed. Yeah. So once you had confirmed early on, you know, some of these larger names, how did you gain momentum to get the attention so that people would attend the festival? How do you like capture then an audience, I guess, is what I'm asking. So, I mean, now it has this terminology around it, but, you know, and they call it sort of micro influencers, but it didn't, you know, there was no such thing then. Um, Or even influence, you know, influencers was used in a very different way. We're dating ourselves, Dee. So old. (laughs) So, you know, I think, again, it's about, you know, who are the pockets of people who have influence within their circles? And um, do they believe in what you're doing enough to share that 
with their circles and then those circles share with other circles and they really believe in that grassroots approach. And the reason I operate that way is that in my um, movie career, that's how we promoted movies. So um, I worked for studios, but I always worked on the indie side of things. So I was always working on this sort of um, smaller budget, more, more auteur-driven content. And so we didn't have the big budgets that the big studio would have. So we couldn't sort of spend masses on like big ads. And, and so it was so much more about critical support and um, word of mouth and all of that sort of grassroots stuff. And so I really, I have a sort of deep and intrinsic understanding about the human psyche and what makes people want to share things with other people and how you position things to different audiences. And so, I, you know, I think it's about understanding your audience, having a really good understanding of who they are and creating the materials and the language around that and then tapping into all of your micro influences as well as you know the press and the, all the other stuff but I just think that that when you start to see that all the people who you think who you admire or who you think are interested interesting sorry are all doing the same thing you know then you just follow it's just human nature right we're all cows we are <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think, not that you can boil this down, but I'm curious to know what you see. What do women either in business or as entrepreneurs or working in the corporate uh, world, what are the, some of the biggest challenges you see that we are encountering and any advice to overcome that? Well, I, I think we're stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're stuck. I mean, Obviously, there are people who break through, but I would say overall, as a gender, I think we're sort of stuck in this holding pattern. And I've just seen there are just so many organizations and networks and advocacy groups and everyone doing this work to move women forward. And yet, when you look at the stats, like we're just sort of hovering, like we just can't land the plane. And I think we're stuck because because of the status quo at the top and it's just unchanging. And until there is like a radical shift in the sort of the gender of the people in, in positions of power, we're just never going to have that trickle down effect. So there needs to be like a radical shift because otherwise all they do, which is sort of half human nature is just kind of support other people who look like them. And it's just natural for them to want to do that is, you know, you're a dude, you see like a like-minded dude and you just want to help the dude, you know, like you just don't, Bob, and you just don't <laughs> necessarily, you know, relate to Rebecca and Dee and, um, and you try, but, and so, you know, I, I just feel that, you know, more radical solutions are called for and, I, you know, and I strongly believe in quotas and I know that it's very unpopular with some people, but, you know, if you look at, countries like France and Canada where they have quotas and Norway and where they have quotas around women on boards, for example, there's been a radical improvement in the percentage of women on corporate boards in those countries because of quotas. And I think that we've spent years waiting for the systems to do right, you know, by, by women and by people of color. And it's just not happening. Like we're just stuck. And so I think we have to force the change. And once we force that change, we have to sort of allow for, you know, some generational shifts. Because often I remember um, Tarana Burke said this really well, where she was, she spoke at the, at Cannes Lions and someone had, was asking her about the fact that there are women who are in positions of power who still don't 
then sort of change the the you know the demographic makeup of the workforce and she said it, it's two things like women can also be affected by patriarchy so we can also you know have had the same conditioning that makes us sort of act in the same way and so even though you know we've reached a position of ceo we still kind of allow the same systems systems to continue and so we need sort of time to get comfortable and to evolve our thinking um to change those systems but also you need the right women so it's not just about any woman it's like women who want to go in and sort of radically shake things up and so and so i think that we need sort of you know both those things to happen is you know more women at the top making those decisions and when you look at again like countries in the nordic regions and you see in government you know the bills that are discussed and like you know the issues that are at the forefront you know there're things like you know maternity leave and um just you know other issues that affect women in the workplace and so you know we do that naturally someone told me that henry ford was the creator of the modern you know 9 to 5 a man and even that you know even if we shifted how we look at a workday right. i know as a woman i i have a drastically different idea for a modern workday yep 10 to 4 would be great you can take your kids to school you mm-hmm. can go to the gym maybe get some self care in there and be home to make dinner if you like that sort of thing i mean it's just fascinating that it's everything that we know of is based on a man for a a car factory absolutely i think you know i'm struggling right now i'm really struggling like me too sister september <laughs> is a tough month yeah. and i don't think people really appreciate that enough and the struggle you know when i drop my kid off at 8:20 and you have tons more children than i do so i bow down to you <laughs> but um you know i i'm exhausted yeah. i'm exhausted just you know getting getting him to school and then that that sort of you know 2:40 end time like what is that like who's that designed punishment. to help it's it is it's punishment and yet at the same time women you know if they leave the office to go, you know, because they want to see their kids or because they want to spend time with their kids they're penalized for it and so you know structurally the whole system you know is a disaster and i just don't think that you know even well meaning men will think in the same way as we would about how we would structure our lives you know if we were in those positions right you know and as you say the workplace you know as it stands was was created by men and so you know we need some radical shifts in the way that we approach that totally so you went from being in fashion to working within the film industry and then you decided to shift gears and become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Did you have any moments at that point of like I'm leaving maybe something that's safe and starting out on my own and what was that feeling like and how did you sort of say fuck it I'm going forward I'm going to do this? It was the most terrifying <laughs> time of my life. You know, I like to describe it as as almost having been institutionalized you know i was so used to the perks of working for fancy companies and you don't even realize um just how much that has sort of affected your psyche until you leave all of that behind no one's paying for your ubers anymore no but you know <laughs> i mean i used to be able to and you know obviously this is privilege but you know i used to be able to kind of just if i was going on a trip i would just walk out the door and the car would be there and everything had been planned and there were it people who fixed your computer and people and travel companies and you know there were just sort of just basic structural things that allowed you to sort of move through your workday in in a very comfortable manner and um and then suddenly you're 
on your own and sitting in the Apple Genius Bar. And um, it's, you know, it's just, it's it's a radical shift. The, the big change for me actually was, um, I hadn't realized just how much my, my identity had been bound up in my job. So I was, I'd been, I'd become so accustomed to saying, I'm D from Paramount, I'm D from Universal, like I'm D from these fancy companies. And people would sort of respond, you know, in the right way and they would return my calls or just be nice to me and, um, I just, just assumed they were being nice to me because I was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, that was different, you know, particularly because I was in LA at the time and LA is definitely its own beast. And, um, people are sort of very transparent about their ambition. And so they, you know, they want to know fairly quickly if you're going to be helpful or not. And so, so that they can move on. And so I would just kind of anticipate that and almost sort of take myself out of the equation. It was like a very, you know, strange thing. And so what I realized I was doing, which was pointed out to me by a friend, was that I wasn't sort of owning my power. And when people inquired about what I did, I would answer in this sort of, you know, half-hearted, shoulders hunched, sort of, I do this thing and then my voice would trail off. And because I just didn't feel important enough yet because my business wasn't successful and people hadn't heard of it. And, um, and so that took some time to get around. Um, and then suddenly I sort of, I found it. And, and there was just a, such a change in the way that people responded to me, you know, when my shoulders were back and when I asserted myself and when I spoke with confidence and when I made it sound great. And, you know, people are attracted to things that sound exciting and things, you know, and so, um, you know, it was, it was a sort of subtle shift in my manner that, really sort of changed the way I approached my business and made a huge impact. I always look for a firm handshake. If I get a wimpy one, I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. not for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I would love to talk about career obstacles. Uh, being an entrepreneur, I could tell you mine all day long. Um, <laughs> everyone has them. Not only are you starting out as an entrepreneur, you know, earlier, you're a woman, more specifically, you're a woman of color. What are some of the challenges that you've had to navigate now that you, that you, you know, full force go into being an entrepreneur? Money, 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 (laughs) money. (laughs) And did I mention money? (laughs) Yeah. Lots of money. Lots of money. You know, it's a tough one. And I encourage anyone who has daughters to teach them how to talk about money comfortably, to ask for money, to, you know, just to be comfortable around that subject, to understand it, to understand their finances. Um, I think it's, you know, the most important skill that we can give young women. There are lots of stats around the percentages of women who don't negotiate salaries, you know, who don't, you know, who go into pitch meetings and don't actually ask for the money. And so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I've definitely, you know, have fallen into that bracket. I found it hard to ask for uh, money when I worked for companies. Um, I find it difficult to sort of pitch and ask for money. I can talk about my vision and my mission all day long, um, but the asking for the money, I've definitely always found hard. And I've had to sort of train myself and exercise that muscle. It's a muscle. Yeah, it really is uh, to sort of improve that skill. Yep. Switching gears a little bit, what were some of the biggest lessons you've learned? in creating this platform that supports and encourages women in business? Um, I think the biggest lesson is 
sort of goes back to the you know the network thing, but the, just the importance of being an ally and having allies around you and how important those allies were to me um, and how it's sort of impossible to succeed without them and how important it is to sort of to be that to other people. And, you know, being an ally means making yourself uncomfortable. It's picking up the phone to call that person that you just like, you know, you really sort of don't want to bother them. Like, and especially like, not on behalf of somebody else, you know, because it's like it's your contact and or hearing something in a conversation that's just not right, you know, that's that, you know, maybe racist or sexist or, you know, where you should just use your voice and, and correct that situation, like those sorts of things, I think are really important. And how have you learned to, to do that, to like get comfortable with that discomfort? I'm still learning you know, and it, it depends on the situation. And, um, sometimes, you know, it's, sometimes it's about saying the thing in front of everyone in the group. Sometimes it's about a private word. Um, sometimes it's just about giving yourself that sort of talking to like, why don't you want to do that? Like, what is it that's sort of stopping you? Why are you sort of annoyed by that email or that person that keeps asking you, whatever it is, like, it's about sort of, you know, that self-awareness and then sort of tackling that in yourself and getting to know yourself better and being braver. I find it easier actually um, to do this in sort of public forums. It's so much easier like on in social or, you know, speaking at a, on a panel and public forums to sort of say the things. Um, it's a little bit harder in a small group. I was with a friend recently who... I don't want her to be identified. <laughs> <laughs> Your friend, Mary. <laughs> My friend, Mary. <laughs> you know, who, sort of, who said something about the way she was raising her daughter that was sort of related to race. And I thought that's wrong. Um, and we were in a group and I just felt that it was inappropriate to call her out in that group. I didn't want to sort of embarrass her. And I'm still figuring out like how to say what I need to say to her without her being offended, but I also know that I need to say it to her. Totally. And so I'm working on that. So I think it's about like, it's, it's, it's situation by situation, but also just making yourself brave. And I, but I, what I do see is that most people can be brave in a public forum and are less brave privately with friends. And You just made me realize that because I'll say just about anything in a public forum, but I have a friend who comes to my house and expects to be waited on hand and foot by myself and mm. my husband and clean up after her. Mm. She doesn't even know that I feel this way because I can't bring myself to be like, I'm not your maid. This is not an inn. You're not welcome here until you clean up your shit. Right. So it's funny you say that because yeah. there, there it is. So when you feel asked to help out another or you feel like you know you need to say something, do you ever feel this burden knowing you want to help, but it still feels like a burden to do it? And how do you sort of get through that? Or not? It is a it's a burden, um, mostly because it's a number of things, right? And so you know, one is that I'm busy, and so I'm just about getting through my own days, <laughs> and you know, raising my kid, and you know, forget the marriage, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> there is a husband somewhere in the background, a very understanding husband. Yes, yes. 
Um, so, you know, so there's all of that. So it's like, you know, I'm trying to sort of deal with my own stuff. And then there's the sort of, you know, business relationships that you've built up over a period of time and sort of getting past, you know, not wanting to sort of rock relationships. And for me, it, it depends on who's doing the asking um, and the nature of the relationship. And, you know, and I just try and deal with everything on a case by case basis. You know, I try to help everyone in some way. If I can't do the thing, maybe there's a way I can steer them in another direction. So I can't do this thing, but I can help you in this other way. You know, because of what I do, I get countless emails and approaches from young women who want to meet, you know, who want advice. And, you know, again, that's a lot. And so I've started trying to do this thing where like on Fridays is when, you know, I'll just kind of try and follow up with with those women. And I have a friend who does like office hours where she'll just meet a bunch, which I think is a really great idea. So, you, you know, I don't think, I think that you have to sort of think about who you are and what you're capable of. Like don't sort of make sure that, you know, you're strong and, and think about your own self-care first because you're no good to anyone if like, you know, you're not protected and, and safe. And then you have to sort of, you know, deal with each thing on a case-by-case basis. But, you know, it's important that we give and it's about the degree to which you can you can do what, what you do. But totally. yeah. Totally. So one thing that frustrates me is the word empowerment, which implies that we don't have our own power, it's given to you. Mm-hmm. Yet this you this word is thrown around and used by every organization that wants to help us. Even sometimes I find myself saying it because of a lack of another word. Mm-hmm. If you have the word that would be better than that, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think we can do to change that idea? If you don't have the word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a word, you know, way back when that I used to use and now I've banned it. Um, I won't use it anymore because I also think that um, it's a cop out and it allows companies to put sort of a surface balm on the situation. Like we're empowering our women with this, you know, great women's day, like that bullshit, you know, Give me the pay rise, like give me the promotion, you know, like give me the big contract, like pay me. Like those are the things that, you know, that I want to see and I want to see women put into into positions of power. And so, yeah, I don't use the word empowerment ever. And so I, you know, I just use other variations around sort of like more hardline things like gender equality and women's rights and, you know. Those, those, <laughs> those, the vast, the vast array options of that you have. Options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, right. yeah. I think, um, I think, empower has def- has become a a cop out for so many companies, and you know, it's it's actually sort of quite irritating to me because there's so many now sort of empowering ads, and and then when you look behind the companies who are creating this content or you know creating those ads, then you know you see that they're not sort of walking the talk, you know, like, so don't create these like super cool viral ads and then have no women on your board, have no women in senior management, you know, have no good sort of paid leave policies. You know, like, I think that we should always look behind the companies doing this stuff. Totally. So one thing I like to ask everybody, just because obviously there's what's Googleable about you is what's something that we would be surprised to know about you? Okay. So I went to a convent 
Wow. Um, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> like you went to college at a convent or you just went to a convent? I went to a convent school, like oh, high okay. school. Okay. Um, or I, I don't know what you call it here, but when I was um, junior school, I don't know. I don't really understand the school thing. But when I was going to school, okay, it was a convent run by nuns. Okay. And, and that wasn't very nice because <laughs> <laughs> they were mean nuns. Mean nuns um, are the worst. Mean nuns. Uh, but there was a period um, during that time when I thought I wanted to be a nun. And so that was, that's interesting. That's very interesting. What was yeah. that aha moment where you said, nope, not for me? You know, I, I found the Catholic Church to just be very unforgiving. And um, it just felt, it was sort of filled with rules and regulations that at the time I wouldn't have called it sort of a gendered thing. But now I realize that's what it was. Right. Um, so even in, you know, at the age of seven, something didn't feel right to me. And, um, and so, you know, so this, I was very, very young. Um, and so, you know, that went away, but there was a time when I just thought that being a nun would be sort of a good, a good way to, to help, to help and to give back. Well, now you're helping in incredible ways. Yeah. So I feel like you've given great nuggets of advice throughout this interview, but is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with as kind of what I hope they can take with on their day and change about their lives? So, I mean, I guess, you know, what I've learned is how to deal with rejection and, um, and the bad times. And I just think that especially as an entrepreneur or even just at any point, like your life just like it ebbs and flows and there are peaks and valleys and without sounding sort of trite with every valley, you know, there is a peak coming and you have to, what I, what I do is that I try and recover fast. I think it's really important to like have your cry and then just like go into solution mode. And, you know, and so I just think that um, it's important to just roll with the bad times, knowing that, you know, good times are around the corner. I love that. Um, you know, it's just served me well and um, and has just sort of kept me positive and motivated. And as an entrepreneur, you need that. You need that sort of self-motivation. And so just knowing that, you know, there's something around the corner really helps me. Totally. I feel like with us, overindulged millennials, um, rejection can be hard sometimes. But yes. it, guess what? It happens every day. It happens every day. And, um, you know, and just sort of don't take it personally. It's not you. I mean, you know, I like there are people who email me who I, you know, forget to email back or, you know, are in my drafts box. My drafts bo box is horrendous. Everyone goes into drafts so I, I can remember to email them back and then, you know. And so, you know, that you just don't know why. Um, and so just, you know, learning how not to personalize and just think about where you're, you know, where you're trying to get to and your own path rather than sort of self-flagellating is really important. So with your quick recoveries after you've been rejected, what does that healing process look like for you? So for me, a problem shared is a problem halved. So I'm not one to wallow by myself. And, um, and I just find that when you're sort of in the thick of an issue, it's just very hard to sort of see out of the, you know, the fog and sharing that with somebody who has an objective view of it can immediately sort of lift you out of where you are. And I have a, you know, I encourage everyone actually. So I have a, a sort of a best friend 
who is my kind of go-to on these things. Like I think that everyone should have that person who you can be completely vulnerable with, like with just with no artifice, like just lay it all out there, who really knows you and who loves and respects you and, and you know, and, and sees your potential and is there for you regardless so that you can sort of, you know, just kind of go there with that person. And so I have that person. And so I can just go and say like, this really shitty thing happened. She's like, well, but you know that you always do this thing. And like, she just kind of can immediately see it and I can see it for her too. And um, so for me, it's about sharing. Yeah. And then immediately going into solution mode. So what went wrong? What do I need to do next? And I just think that as soon as you start doing that, you'll just slowly lift yourself out of it. And everyone, you know, it takes us all different amounts of time. And, you know, it's just, it's the nature of my personality to do that. I know that, you know, for other people, you know, it can be a harder process, but I just always encourage people not to go through anything by themselves if they can. Agreed. I always like to air this with someone who I'm close to, but that's in a certain, not even a similar business, but a similar level, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's business issues, right? Because it's one thing to share it with your friend who is a stay-at-home mom and she has no idea what you're talking about. Right. But I'll usually find someone who's like CEO or just whatever in in my network. And I'm like, let me vomit on you. What do I do? Yeah. I mean, it has to be someone whose opinion you trust and value and respect um, from a professional standpoint. So, right. it, you know, so they need to be on your level. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing against no one that's not no. on your level. Just no. Just want to put, th- that's my uh, little warning. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that I think that, you know, for most of us, you know, you know, we're just, we're trying to sort of walk through life, seeming to have it together. And so it can be harder to go there with someone who's not on your level. Totally. Um, and so I just think that when it's someone who sort of gets it, you know, who's at the same place, it's just easier to sort of be more honest than with someone, you know, who's um, up and coming, who you're sort of trying to be a mentor and sort of be together with. It's just different. Yeah, you don't want to sh- vomit all over someone that's still excited about <laughs> starting their yeah, business. exactly. <laughs> this is what's coming your way. So suck it up. <laughs> Deepoku, thank you so much. I love this. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was Deepoku. If you want to know more about her, you can follow her at Deepoku. Today, our review is from NYI Phone Gal. All I knew about Rebecca before listening was that she had founded a clothing company. That's about it. I've since become a total fan because her guests have all been great and the topics interesting. Her down-to-earth, honest approach to asking questions and sharing her own experience come across as super relatable, even though she's a millionaire founder. I wish. I wish I was a millionaire founder. That would be awesome. I'm now a real fan. Great podcast for anyone interested in hearing the inside story about starting and running a business. You are so welcome, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you.